Now, before we get started on this one, I, I wanted to comment about that. I wanted to comment about that poem that I put in the newsletter. Some of you will have read it uh, because it's posted through to you on the internet, but others have got it in front of you from collected out there. <clears throat> uh, and I know that some of your young people may say them to themselves when they read it. Oh, that doesn't apply to me. It's not. It's the oldies. Well, let me say to you, I don't think that's true. I believe that that poem has very great significance for uh, all of us. Let me tell you about the original uh, issue. Uh, about, uh, about 25 years ago now, I was over at Columbia International University in the United States, uh, and uh, there was a bit of an uproar going on in the, in the college, big university, Christian university, um, because the uh, provost, as they called their principal, had just resigned. And uh, they were quite upset about it because he was one really good value guy. The problem was this, that uh, he lived in a house about a kilometre away from the college, still on college land, but on a rough road that took them up to the house. And his wife was beginning to develop Alzheimer's. And he found that she would walk, because she couldn't cope without being with her, with, with him, she would walk the road down to his office and come into the office with bloodied feet because she hadn't put any shoes on. And um, he was concerned about this and, and told the college board and they said, don't worry, we will look after her for you. We will, have some, we will pay for somebody to come in and look after her completely full time. You needn't worry. Uh, and he said, well, um, I'm sorry, I've loved the job here at Columbia International University, but 50 years ago, I knelt down before my wife and a group of people and said to her, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, and she needs me. And he resigned. And on the resignation, he wrote this incredible poem, Let Me Get Home Before Dark. I invite you to read it. Uh, I have it sitting on my, on my desk. It's a, it's a constant truth for me that guides who I, am and who I am and what I do. So I hope it's a blessing. Uh, if you feel like you'd like to talk about it with me, I'd, be, I'd love to do that. So go ahead and read it on the computer or from the... I think there's still one or two there. Um, get the hard copy. Well, the call to humility... I'll switch me on first. I want you to have a look at these behavioural attributes in our society and I want to ask you, do you agree with me that this is the set of values upon which our society is basically built? Power, wealth, control, superiority, influence, authority, reputation, domination. Would you say that they're a collective group of uh, words that might describe what our society is like, the values of our society? Would you say that uh, they're prized? Gentleness, wisdom, integrity? We live in a different world to the world that is, in Jesus' terms, the kingdom of God. Because this kingdom is a topsy-turvy kingdom. 
but it's a topsy-turvy kingdom that is, that is controlled and guided and developed by the Spirit of God himself working through us. And we begin to discover that these, rather than the ones at the top, rather than being great strengths, are actually great weaknesses because they lead us further and further into selfishness. And we need to begin to understand what he is saying to us about the nature of the kingdom. Can you read that? I'm sorry. It starts off with these. Are these behavioural traits or are they character traits? The ones that I've just, that I've just put. Are they, are they things that we've learned? Where do they come from? Are they from our society or are they inherent in our personality in our brains? Are they just cultural mores? I.g. society breeds its own character. Or are they attitudes which are repaid with success? Well, I think that's true. Are they expressions of ego? What is God saying to us about appropriate ways to live our lives as those who are part of the kingdom of God? It's Jesus who identifies the behaviour which is consistent with the kingdom he says to us this is who we are and this is how we behave now I, I want to say to you that we need to understand what the source of this is when we hear Jesus talking to us about the way we need to behave in our world we need to understand that he's saying to us at the same time and my Holy Spirit comes into your life and guides you and keeps you and looks after you and gives you the directions to go and gives you the strength to cope with what's happening. We need to understand that we never ever do this on our own. We need to understand that this is one in which we are like that in our relationship with God and he helps us to be who we need to be to be consistent with the kingdom. The kingdom standard is this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them and said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position, this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. What does it mean to take the position of a child? It has to do with the way a child thinks. It has to do with the way a child places their trust. It has to do with what a child dreams of as the possibilities that their life might be. If this is the kingdom standard, what in the world is he talking about? Little children need their parents and their grandparents in managing life, they can't do it without their parents, without their grandparents. You don't let kids run out on the road. You don't take them down to the shopping centre and release them for an hour to play. They need the conversation all the time with their parents. They need the love of their parents. They need the interaction with their parents. And as they have that interaction with their parents and their grandparents, they begin to form their own character. So what is Jesus saying? I think he's saying we forever need the guidance and care of the master. 
we forever need his input into our life. And let's not step away from the truth and the reality that if we need him, then it's like a child that we come to him and we say to him, Daddy, Daddy, what, what's next? Grandpa, I love you. Mum, I leap into your arms and I give you a snuggle. Can I have a cuddle, Mum? Well, is that how we are to be with God? I think so. In their innocence, there are few accumulated experiences which might prejudice or divert their behaviour. You know what I'm talking about, the things that we've learned about which prejudice the way we go through life. They're not there with the kids. And if they're an example for us, we need to hear this. We forever need the healing of the master to enable us to see clearly. We need to get rid of the sin of our life. We need to get rid of the backpack stuff that we carry around the place if we're going to behave as human beings were created to behave. We need to be like children. We need to come to the master and we need to say, Daddy, what do I do now? How do I go about this? What am, this decision is beyond me. Will you show me? We forever need the healing of the master because we've been damaged. There's not one here who hasn't been damaged. And when we've been damaged, we set up a protective mechanism. We make sure we're not going to be hurt again. We make sure not we're, going to, we're going to be in charge this time. And he says to us, no, 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 let me heal you. So, the, so that the, the experiences you will pass, the painful damage that other people have done to you, that, that doesn't prejudice the decisions you've got to make later on. Come to me like a child. Come and sit on my lap. Come and give me a cuddle. Nothing better for a grandpa to be called Papa. A child's self-understanding is still in formation. They don't really know who they are. We forever need the master's touch to understand who we really are. We forever need that little voice of the Spirit speaking to us and saying, this is the way, walk in this. You go down there, listen to me when I'm suggesting you go this, you do that. Are you like a child or are you too sophisticated to be like a child? Sophistication in terms of personal growth does not help. Humility before the living God, recognising who he is and who we are and letting that grow into our character on the basis of being like a child guides us into what we're supposed to be. From these experiences come the culture of humility, which is in no other way available to us. The temptation for humanity is always to have personal aims and goals, to be in control, to be in charge. And Jesus says to us, no, I want you to be like a little child, and as you do that through life, I begin to build in you great resilience, great strength, but it will be humble strength. Incidentally, 
These PowerPoints are now going to be put up on PDF. Uh, if you want to know how to get access to them, Bo has done that now. So these, these will be up for you whenever you want to, whenever you want to look at them. From these experiences come the culture of humility. It's something that grows. It's not something that we suddenly have. It's something that God needs to do in us time by time. Again, in another situation, Jesus declared to his expectations for the kingdom humility that he calls forth from us. And this is what he says, a bit hard to read back there. Can you read it? It's a bit small. The mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favour of him. What is it that you want, he asked. Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and on your left in the kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right hand or left is no, not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lords it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them? Not so with you. Instead, anyone who wants to uh, have authority uh, become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be free first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Where's the root of humility? The root of humility is in Jesus. It's in the character of who he is. And if we want to really see what humility is, you look back at Jesus' behaviour. This, this is another example of Christian character in action with Jesus telling his disciples, don't listen to the world. You want to be successful in life, I created you as a human being. I know the design I put in you. I know what's there. I know the resources I've placed in you in terms of gifts and abilities. And I want you to be able to operate in those things with a profound sense of humility. I want you to be able to operate in those things with my spirit in charge of your life, not you trying to be the boss around the place. The mother's behaviour. This is just verse 20, 21 with James and John. Now, who provoked mum to go and see Jesus, do you reckon? The boys? Well, they're certainly there with mum. Or was it mum just really happy about her boys and can we promote them? Paramount selfishness. Goes behind the backs of all the rest of the disciples. What kind of behaviour is this? What kind of behaviour would result in the boys sitting next to Jesus in the, this stuff? This is what she's doing. Grandiose self-perceptions? Because, of course, if the boys are there, where's mum? Very close indeed. Ignorance of who Jesus really was. This is the behaviour which is not Christian. This is not the behaviour of the kingdom because it seeks to promote against all others my desires and my purposes. It seeks to promote me with my intentions. And Jesus says, well, compare this to Matthew 10, 16, being wise as serpents and harmless as doves. 
I'm not talking about humility being a doormat. I'm talking about humility as being something very, very different. It's having a massive strength in your spine to do what needs to be done when the Master calls you, that massive strength in your spine is known as the Holy Spirit and He will give you the right words at the right time. He will support you, He will direct you, He will control what's going on. But you live in Him. Be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. The key idea, have no self-serving agenda. I am not here for me. I am here to serve. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am a servant of the living God. And in the process of me being a servant of the living... You know, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about us. In that process, I begin to understand that it's not about me. Well, what happens to me then? Do I recede into insignificance? No, no, quite the reverse. What happens is that I have piled my life into the hands of the Holy Spirit and he says, ha ha, I will take you where you need to go now. I point the direction, I'll give you everything you need to do the things that I want you to do and I will be your strength. Jesus' response in verse 22 and 23 there was no outright personal rejection of the boys and their mum. Jesus didn't say, you wicked fellas. He understood the atmosphere of their life and he simply approached them with the kind of humility that they should have approached him with. Jesus' march was marked by the humility the disciples lacked. And he says, no, I'm, I'm not able to do that. You really think you can drink the Oh, yeah, we can drink the cup that you have to drink. Well, you don't know what you're asking. Uh, and if you don't know what you're asking, um, you don't know either who I actually am. You've perceived me as your master. You've, been to, you've perceived me as God. Do you know what that means, boys? And if I'm going to be seated at the right hand of the Father... At least one spot next to me is already taken. And I'm not the one who decides that. So he doesn't give them a hard time. He doesn't, you know, knock them around. Jesus' answer is a demonstration of the humility he requires of us. In this kingdom, if we are to live in a way that manages life as Christians were supposed to be from the beginning... We begin to understand it's not about me. My life is for what God has for me. And I've got to decide what my identity is. And I need to be able to say to myself, this is not what I think. This is not what I believe. This is what I do. This is who I am. And Jesus is saying to the, to the disciples and to all of us, who this has been recorded in the Scriptures, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ and you are a servant of the living God. That's your identity. That is not what you believe. That is not what you feel. That is not what you think. It is who you are. Right at the depth of your gut, 
is this notion that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. He is the one to whom I belong utterly. He is the one who gives me the strength to be who I ought to be. And then I can behave as Jesus behaved. And I can, in this kingdom now, begin to behave with all the strength of the master, but all of the humility of having absolutely no personal agenda in this at all. I'm here to serve my master. That's my job. That's my identity. That's who I am. <laughs> human stupidity is sometimes a demonstration of human ignorance. The boys have no idea. Mum has no idea at all who she's talking to. She has absolutely no idea what she's asking. It purely comes out of a self-will to be promoted beyond others. And we're the same. We look back on some of the stuff that we think and we believe. We begin to discover that it's actually self-serving nonsense. And all, all it will do is, is, is change things and challenge things and make life difficult. What about the reaction of the ten? How would you feel? The selfishness of some often provokes jealousy and selfishness in return. Well, these are the boys who have been walking with, with Jesus and, uh, and the disciples for the last few years. And suddenly they discover that mum's come along and tried to promote the boys, James and John. Well, how would you feel? Oh, Peter's likely to leap up and give him a hard time, isn't he? And the other disciples are likely to say, oh, hang on, what do you think you're doing? Human relationships are at risk where an atmosphere of self-promotion prevails. If you work in a company where people are trying to climb the ladder and tread on whoever they need to, to get up the ladder, what is it like to work there? What is it like in a church where somebody says, I want to be superior, I, wa I want to control this church. They don't say it that way. They say, we've always done it this way. We need to make sure we're consistent with the past. What a comment is that? Issues of focus in kingdom humility. One, humanity's self-understanding often involves ego and self-centeredness. Often involves me seeing the world through my eyes, understanding through the world through my past experiences, managing the world according to my personal gifts and wondering why other people don't do it the way I do it, and therefore battling on to get control of things so I'm actually in charge. Sometimes the language I use is not terribly nice and is not productive in terms of the relationships that I have with, with other people because I want to be in charge. My ego is in control. Humility does not mean being a doormat. There are many people throughout history who have shown that being prepared to stand for what you believe to be able to say gently, that is not what I believe to be the case. I can talk about Martin Luther King. I can talk about uh, Mother Teresa. And it can go on and on and on. There are people who have said, no, in this world I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ 
and I'm a servant of the living God. And as we proceed, I will listen to what he says to me, I will do what he says to me, and I can talk of people who were hung because they opposed the, the, the German uh, under Hitler. Because they said, I'm not, don't misbelieve that I'm, don't think that I'm saying this is easy or that as a result of misbehaving this way, you, nobody will attack you. Quite the reverse. Because you're an anomaly in a world that looks for the other stuff that I talked about early on. Humility doesn't mean being doormat. Humility means standing for what you believe on the basis of the power of the Spirit, giving you the wisdom to choose. Putting in your heart and in your mind the right thoughts, the right ideas, the right balance, the right perfection, and then letting you stand superb on the, superb on the basis of his strength in your spine. But don't think about yourself more highly than we ought. Don't say to yourself, well, I'm, I'm better educated than this person. I, uh, I've, I've worked longer than this person, so I know what's going on. It has nothing to do with any of that. Every day is a new day. Every experience is a new experience. And every one of us starts from the same starting block every day. None of us has a head start on the basis of what we think we know, what we think we own, what we think we're in charge of. Don't think of yourself more highly than we ought. What does it mean to be a servant of the living God? In the good old days, if you had a servant, you would take that servant, you would take them to the doorpost and you would put their ear on the doorpost and you'd put a hole through their ear. And that would indicate that they were forever yours. You owned them. You had total control of them and they did whatever you said without question, without argument. Now, Jesus has come along to you and he's come along to me and he's taken us to the doorpost and he's taken our ear and he's put an awl through our ear and marked it. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. We belong to him. We are here for the very purpose of having him express through us everything that this world needs us to be. It is not about us. It is not about ego. It is not about anything to do with our desires. We need to be truthful with ourselves about who we really are. Don't get puffed up. Don't believe because you've done this particular course you're superior to everybody else. Don't think that you're the best cook in the world. Well, my mother did great apple tarts, I have to say, apple pies. She never ever thought herself as the best cook in the world. You say that to her and she, don't be stupid. Don't be stupid, she said. Would you agree? Now, uh, the preaching team and I have been, have been trying to lead you into some of the dimensions of the kingdom of God. We could spend another 10 years doing that. But uh, in the planning process, I wanted to be able to lay it on the line and say, this is now where we're headed. This world of ours is all over the place. There's stuff happening everywhere. I know I scared a few of you early on when I put that stuff up. 
It's happening. It's going faster than you and I can ever do. We need to not retreat backwards, but move forwards into the kingdom where we actually live. Humility, this humility, is what is going to cause us to survive. Now, um, it is true, though, that God has the process of forming his disciples, putting them through experiences that will give them the resources to do the task he has for them. Every one of us has a different task. So for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at how God raised Elijah, how he trained him, how he got him to the position where he was able to perform the particular task that God had for him. And we're going to draw some conclusions about the way God trains us. The things that are a part of Elijah's life, vastly different to ours, totally different time of the universe, but there are principles there. So for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at Elijah. So God trains individuals. And then the best book in the Bible to identify God training his church is Ephesians. So after that three weeks, uh, the team and I are going to be going on to Ephesians and talking about the way in which God trains his church. I hope you can get involved in this and love this stuff. This is the truth of the gospel. Having no self-serving agenda, I invite you, I invite you in this kingdom to know that this way which seems so weak is actually the strongest on the face of the earth. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for what you do with us in this topsy-turvy kingdom. Everything seems to be upside down. And what we, the, what we thought were the strengths of our lives, the strengths of our, of our um, behaviour suddenly turned to be those which are prejudicial to us, getting to be where we want to be. You invite us to step into relationship and have you take over our lives. And then we begin to see radical generosity. We begin to see incredible humility be part of our lives. Lord, will you do it in us? Amen.